Good evening or good afternoon, whichever is applicable. Thank you, Pastor Nate, for this uh, invitation to preach here. It's always a daunting task to preach in front of uh, different churches because we have our church family and now we have a bigger church family and uh, probably 11 or so pastors here, all with big notebooks out, I see. Would you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51? Very well-known psalm. We're not going to read that together. We'll read it as we go along. And um, we become accustomed to having to give titles, as Pastor Sam mentioned this morning, to our sermons because of sermon audio. As soon as you're done, the sound guys will come and say, what's your title? So if you want a title for tonight, it's the joy of biblical repentance. The joy of biblical repentance. Please keep your Bibles open at Psalm 51. And uh, we will read that as we go. What is repentance? I just realized when I finished the sermon, I didn't even give a definition of repentance. And that is because tonight I want us to draw some elements, perhaps out of an overview of this psalm of true repentance. So even though I'm not going to give you a quote or a, a definition of repentance, except perhaps to say I grew up in northern KwaZulu-Natal, which is in South Africa, as many of you may know, and uh, the, the tribal language there is Zulu, Shaka Zulu, and uh, I guess you've all heard of that in the film, Shaka Zulu. We had some Zulu preachers associated with our church in remote works, and uh, we had one particular fiery preacher that I'll never forget, Pastor Elijah Mkonazi. And that was the Zulu, uh, his Zulu name. And he was preaching one day on repentance. And the Zulu word for repentance is Panduga. Panduga. And he got to a certain point in his sermon and he just hesitated and stopped and repeated three times Panduga. 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 And everybody stood up and turned around. And in Zulu, that's exactly what the word repentance means. Turn around and go the other way. You're going the wrong way. And one of the other phrases in Zulu for repentance, one I have not heard frequently, is isola, which is regret. Regret and repenting. Well, Thomas Watson, he opens his little book, a great little book on on the doctrine of repentance by saying the two great graces essential to a saint in this life are faith and repentance. These are the two things by which he flies to heaven. Faith and repentance preserve the spiritual life as heat and radical moisture do the natural. And that's a wonderful quote, isn't it? Repentance, brothers and sisters, is not something that is optional. And like faith, repentance is essential in coming to salvation. Both are things that we must do. We must actually have faith and exercise faith, and we must repent. We must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. And yet we know that neither of these can be fabricated. We can feign or fake repentance for a while, but they can't be fabricated. They do not originate with man. Both faith and repentance are the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. And so even what is required by God 
for our salvation, and we rejoice in this as believers, is granted by grace as a gift. And repentance is not, if I had to ask you, what is the repentance psalm? You'd probably all say Psalm 51, but repentance and the importance of repentance is highlighted throughout the Scripture. And when you get towards the end of the Old Testament to Malachi, which was not the last writing of the Old Testament, but it was near the last writings of the Old Testament, as the Old Testament comes to a close, he preaches repentance. And he announces the coming messenger of the Lord who will prepare the way. And he announces the coming of the Lord himself who will suddenly come to his temple. And what happens? Silence. For 400 years, there's silence. And then the messenger appears as prophesied in Malachi. John the Baptist, and he comes preaching repentance. And then the Lord himself comes to the temple. The Lord Jesus Christ comes preaching repentance and calling all to believe on his name as we see it in the, portrayed in the Gospels so clearly. And then from Pentecost on, after Christ is ascended into heaven, we read the apostles preaching the Gospel of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 51 gives us important elements supported by the rest of Scripture of true biblical repentance, which we need to apply and mimic in our own lives, not just in coming to faith to Christ for the first time, while that is all important, and receiving the gift of salvation, but to be practiced daily throughout our Christian walk on this earth until when we nice and mature know until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again in all his glory and finally sets us free from all the influences of our remaining sin. So this isn't a message just for the unbeliever, but repentance must be a part of, every, of our everyday lives. And through the new birth, as Jesus described to Nicodemus, repentance and faith is that mysterious, supernatural and sovereign work of the Spirit of God in the heart, working both repentance and faith. And that work brings us face to face with our sin. As an offense against God, as well as planting those seeds of faith which we cannot generate of ourselves in our hearts by which we are enabled to repent and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Psalm 51, you're all familiar with this. David, the Psalm of David, his heartfelt repentance, eventually, you may say, for his sin against God and the violation of the seventh commandment, his adultery with Bathsheba and then his subsequent murder of Uriah, her husband, in trying to conceal his sin. You may say to me this evening, why are you preaching repentance at this quarterly? It's a negative thing, isn't it? You may think we're here to worship and to rejoice together with all of our 11-member churches. It's a joy and worship, and it's encouragement that we need. May I suggest to you that this doctrine of repentance is a reason for great joy for the believer. And thanksgiving and praise, though it seems when we have just repented and confessed another sin, a new one is at our door. 
And this surely is a frustration and a burden even for the believer. While this may be true, this endless loop of sin and confession and repentance to God, because of our sin, it is not, it is not an endless loop. The true and true repentance is the forsaking of our sin and the putting it to death. True repentance brings us face to face with the cross of Christ every day. And there on that cross, he has dealt a lethal blow to all our sin. And this sometimes difficult path of life that we travel is a blessed path for the believer. It is one of walking in newness of life and with great joy as we long for and look for the day of the Lord when faith will be sight and Christ will appear and we with him in our sinless resurrection bodies where sin and pain and sickness and suffering and tears will be no more. And this endless cycle of sin and our fight against the world and the flesh and the devil will be over, for when we see him, we will be like him. And may this reminder of biblical repentance today through, be throughout our lives and bring us all true joy and sweeten our fellowship together. May he sanctify us for that great and glorious day, making us better worshipers in preparation for eternity. Well, with those things in mind, that introduction to repentance and what we're going to do, let's turn our attention to this psalm and to see what true biblical repentance looks like. And you may now think back to your early days in coming to Christ, or maybe you think back to two weeks ago when you had to repent of a sin before God, a sin that you'd committed before. What does true biblical repentance look like? And I'd like us to to extract five elements, if you like, or characteristics of true biblical repentance as we see in Psalm 51. Number one, number one, the first point, repentance is a cry to God for mercy. Repentance is a cry to God for mercy. Read with me verse 1 and verse 4 and 5. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, and verse 4, against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, in our natural state, and in sin did my mother conceive me. When the Holy Spirit plants the seed of faith in our hearts to see Christ, all excuses and mitigations fly out the window. There is no longer any blame shifting for my sin or appealing to circumstances that made it so hard for me to resist that sin, made it so easy for me to sin. Surely this is a mitigating circumstance. 
The sin in repentance comes to acknowledge his sin, and he cries to God. He sees the light of God's holiness as a direct offense to God, and he causes us to own our sin. Against you and you alone have I sinned, done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified. I deserve condemnation and judgment. Even our original sin is not viewed as a mitigating factor, but to the awakened conscience, in fact, it worsens the crime. In our natural state, we are desperately sick and to the core of our natures, dead in our trespasses and sins, with every part of our being, soul, body, and mind corrupted by sin in every part, deserving only the wrath of God. And even for those who've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no excuse for sin. Romans 1 reminds us of of this, doesn't it? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. The world, the world, the man of the world can see it, even since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. And false repentance may cause us to admit our sin, resolve to reform, particularly when we've been found out, isn't it, like David was here. We can give a show of remorse and sorrow, but it is only God repent, godly repentance, that, that it's only godly sorrow that produces repentance, a turning from sin, a penduga from your sin, a, re, a, a leaving those ways behind. I'm walking this way, and I, I will turn, and I will no longer walk that way, but the opposite way. Whether we come to Christ for the first time for forgiveness and salvation, We'll come to confess our sin as believers as we do every Lord's Day and hopefully every day of our lives. We must ask ourselves in coming, do I desire Christ above all things? Do I own my own sin? Do I see my sin as a dark blot needing to be removed? And do I cry to God for mercy? Having heard there's a Savior, God's own Son, He took my sin upon Himself. In my place, He stood condemned, and I want that forgiveness more than anything else in the world. And that's very different to say, Lord, forgive us our sins, and to move on to the next prayer. But a desperate cry to God, a plea to Him. Yes, the gospel is for all who would come and repent and believe but you must want this more than anything else in the world. The child who's told to say sorry to your mommy for saying that, sorry, mommy, and off she goes. And tomorrow she does the same thing. You must want this more than anything else in the world. Be willing at this point to give up anything and everything in order to be reconciled with God. And it is only the Spirit of God that can do this work in your heart. How much more, like David, must we cry? And for David, this process took over a year. It took Nathan the prophet to send the word of the Lord to him to awaken again and plant those seeds in his heart to produce those seeds of faith in David's heart 
And then he cries, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Repentance is a cry to God for mercy. We observe in the second place, number two, repentance is a confession of our sins to God. Repentance is a confession of our sins to God. Thomas Watson's little book has a wonderful section on the importance of confession in the, the doctrine of repentance in that book. Look with me at verses 1 to 3 again. According to your abundant mercy, the second half of verse 1, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Our desire for forgiveness and reconciliation with God, our desire to be cleansed, the owning of every one of our sins, and the revelation by the Spirit that those sins offend God, who requires us to worship Him with clean hands and a pure heart. Those requirements and that work of the Spirit in our heart will cause us to confess our sin and to let, as it were, that those rivers of offenses against God be poured out as a whole as well as confessing our particular sins. Thomas Watson says, sorrow is such a vehement passion that it will have vent. It vents itself at the eyes by weeping and at the tongue by confessing. What is confession? Confession is self-accusing. We come before God voluntarily. We must accuse ourselves and in so doing prevent the evil one to accuse us. Consider your servant here before me. Our confession makes way for pardon. When the prodigal son came back with confession in his mouth, he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. The father's heart melted towards him, and he kissed him. David, after being confronted by Nathan the prophet here, what does he say? I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sins. You shall not die. When we come with true heart confession, the words of 1 John will be healing balm to our souls. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repentance is the confession of sin to God. Thirdly, repentance is a plea to God for cleansing from that sin accompanied by a shameful remorse of that sin. Repentance is a plea to God for cleansing from our sin accompanied by a shameful remorse of it. Again, the first part of verse 1, the last part of verse, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly, get out that soap and wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean, 
Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Look at verse 9. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. And Watson says again, when the heart has been made black with sin, grace makes the face red with blushing. Ezra sees talking on behalf of the people of Israel. Chapter 9 and verse 6 says, Oh my God, I'm ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. Brothers and sisters, repentance means we come to hate the stain and the shame that sin has left and long for the heavenly washing, for the Savior's blood, the only blood sufficient to cleanse us from our sin. Brothers and sisters, the shame of our sin, our hatred for it, and our desire to be rid of it is the gauge of godly repentance and heartfelt confession. How quick we are to confess our sin, and yet we return to it. And yet we return to it. There's no shame. There's no care for the blot and the stain of sin. If we find it quick and easy to return to our sin, and if we are honest, many of us do with many little sins, we're quick to return to our sin. We're like a dog returning to its own vomit. If we say we hate it, but our actions deny it, Sometimes we love it and return easily to it. There is no real hatred for something we love to visit again and again. We want to get away from that which we hate, that which we hate, otherwise we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I've heard people say that meat is my least favorite. I, I, I don't like meat and even say, I hate meat, I hate meat. And then they eat meat. And when there's no meat on the table, they say, where's the meat in the meal? And that's sometimes what our repentance is like. We say we hate our sin. We say we've turned from our sin. But how quick we are to return to that sin. If you seek true repentance, if you desire God-honoring confession, Pray daily, brothers and sisters, for a hatred of your sin. Hate that sin. Young people have shared with me that on a certain day, this is the sin that overtakes me. This is the temptation that comes to me. Hate your sin. Learn to hate your sin and have your past sins before you as a reminder to cause you to blush with shame at the thought of scorning that precious blood that was shed for you. As, and as a motivation to put away your sin. And each one of us know our little darling sins, don't we? And we do not repent of them. We return to them. Lord, may I taste that hyssop mixed with blood. May I taste the bitterness of my sin and again realize the great cost of the blood of Christ to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Young people, would your thoughts wonder and you entertain those lustful thoughts or whatever your sins may be. 
those words spoken so out of season, those hateful words, whatever it is. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Repentance is a plea to God for cleansing from our sin, accompanied by shameful remorse for it. Fourthly, the fourth element or characteristic of true repentance, repentance is a desire for renewal and the sweet awareness of God's Spirit with us. Repentance is a desire for renewal and the sweet awareness of God's Spirit with us. Verse 8b, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. This repentance has gripped David's heart so that he fears for the very presence of God to be removed from him forever, and he dreads the thought of God's Spirit never dwelling with him again. Awaken to his sin, once the true nature of that defilement was recognized, once David poured out his heart for forgiveness, for cleansing, for renewal, David's first and primary desire was what? To remain in God's presence. Lord, stay with me. If it was his sin that caused him to run and hide from God, it was his sin that caused him in his running from God to even sin more worse than before because of that sin. Yet David, knowing that there is nowhere you can hide from God. He wrote so in Psalm 139. There's no way where God is not, yet he expresses this fear. I am not worthy. Lord, do not cast me away from your presence. Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from, thee, from me if these things were possible for the child of God, but they were not. And David knew that, knew that but the repentance and his remorse and his hatred for the sin that he had committed overtook him so that he feared that God would withdraw his presence from him, remove his Holy Spirit from him. True sign of godly repentance, confession, is an overwhelming desire to be in God's presence. And we will not entertain that sin if we were in God's presence. Lord, stay with me. Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. And David feared because of his great sins. And that sin had changed him. It had changed him from being an adulterer to being a murderer. And David's own sin had put a barrier between his sweet fellowship with God that he experienced. When by the Spirit he took up the harp. When by the Spirit he took up the pen and wrote. And he longed again for the sensing the presence of God. He longed to pick up his heart and by the Spirit coming upon him, enable him to know what it was again to be carried along by the Holy Spirit to pen his psalms, to have the wisdom and the power 
to carry out his kingly fashion again as a prophet and as a king. And perhaps these anxieties were the progression of his thoughts and in his heart in this time of confession and repentance because they were heartfelt, because they were because of the stirring of the Spirit in his heart. He soon found that this dark and difficult time of sin and confession, repentance leads to a glorious joy through the cleansing and the presence of God once again. And perhaps this is something we miss at the end of this psalm. Brothers and sisters, when the work of God, the Holy Spirit, has given us true repentance from our sin, our desire will be to be in His presence, to walk with God. Our desire will be to be in the Spirit, as the New Testament teaches us, which means to be in God's house with His people. The desire will be to cling to the Savior, and we will grasp at the means of grace He has given us to remain in His presence, there with all the gathered people of God. And that's why when it's so easy for us to forsake the gathering of ourselves together, you know what that means? It normally means we love our sin. That dark blot of sin no longer worries us. It means we're hiding from God. It means we should feel like David where the Lord has taken his presence from us because we have forsaken the gathering. We've forsaken the means of grace. We have not attended to that. And that wonderful promise that comes in the attendance to the means of grace and what is it? And lo, I will be with you always until the end of the age. True repentance and confession places a desire in our hearts to be in the Lord's presence, to have his spirit within us. Promise attendance of Christ in this special way is in the reading of Scripture, is in the preached word of God, is in the prayers of the saints, is in the baptism and the Lord's Supper. In this is the true fellowship of the saints. That is to be in the glorious presence of God, and in that place, the reminder of our sin is abhorrent to us. And as we stand there worshiping God and we think on our sin, we blush, we blush, and we hate that sin all the more. When we confess our sin and repent from our sin, God renews our hearts. God renews our hearts. He will put a steadfast spirit within us. Here we will know his presence. Here feel the light of his countenance upon us. Brothers, here more than ever will be the proof of heartfelt confession and godly repentance, a desire to know the presence of God, a desire to keep in step with the spirit, a desire to show the fruit of the spirit in our lives. And it boils down to this, and I don't know when David wrote Psalm 116, but he came to this realization, in thy presence there is fullness of joy, at thy right hand there are blessings forevermore. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Because true repentance leads to great joy. True repentance brings me back into the presence of God. True repentance, God renews me with his spirit. 
Cast me not away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Repentance is a desire for renewal and a sweet awareness of God's Spirit with us. We're nearly done. Fifthly and finally, fifthly and finally, repentance leads to a love for Zion and a desire for perfectly acceptable worship to God. Repentance leads to a love for Zion, for God's church, for His people, for His kingdom and a desire for perfectly acceptable worship. Look at verse 16 to 19 of this psalm. It ends on a glorious triumphant note for a man who has seen and felt the repentance and forgiveness of God, whose sins have been scrubbed away and he's white as snow. For you will not delight in sacrifice. And David probably through this time of sin was going to the temple and offering sacrifice like we do sometimes. We just pitch up and disappear. We pitch up and disappear. But we harbor sin and we have not repented. And he came to realize, for I do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering, not in the state that I am of unrepented sin. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O oh God, you will not dis despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, the kingdom of God. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And for the New Testament believer, what is it? When we come to the cross of Christ, we receive forgiveness, we repent of our sin, then we can offer acceptable sacrifice to God. And we pray for Zion and we love his church. The true penitent find that there is nothing that he can bring. There is no acceptable sacrifice or offering that we can bring to God. And young people, your parents go to church and they repented. That doesn't mean you've repented. And your pa parents confess their sin. That will not be transferred to you. And you can come and offer your sacrifice. As I go to church every Sunday, it's going to count for something. It's going to Count for nothing except a broken or contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. When you confess your sin, you see your sin, you see God's holiness, and you realize you will die in your sin without Christ. There is nothing I can bring. There's no acceptable offering that we can bring to God to expedite forgiveness of sins and acceptable, uh, acceptable to God. David has learned through this bone-breaking repentance. That's how he describes it. This bone-breaking repentance given by God that there was no final and effective sin offering or burnt offering in the sacrificial system of the old covenant that could secure his forgiveness apart from a broken and a contrite heart. And Jeremiah and Abraham believed this who, who was 
His faith was credited as righteousness. And Jeremiah prophesied, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And David knew, and David acknowledged that all he could bring was a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Repentance is humbling ourselves. Repentance is for the exalting of our Savior, the ultimate perfect sacrifice. We cling to Him. It is going to the cross where He bore our sins on that tree and the granting of pardon, of the forgiveness of sins. It is to exalt the God of our salvation and to worship the Lamb who sits upon the throne. And that only comes with the working of the Spirit Working faith and repentance in the heart. Young people, come to Christ. Ask Him to work repentance in your heart. The believer, having received this pardon, having come to the cross of Christ without a shred of merit but that of Christ, his desire is now for his life to be a trophy of God's grace, to instruct others, as David says, in the pathway of righteousness, and by his testimony of God's riches in Christ, desires to turn others from their own way and to lead them from that broad and destructive way to the only way and the truth and the life found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance, brothers and sisters, who is sufficient for these things? How can we measure up to these, to these elements of biblical repentance? The more I read of biblical repentance, the more I feel my repentance needs to be repented of. But let's never forget that repentance, like saving faith, is a gift of God. It is a gift of God. All we can do is come. All we can bring is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And God accepts these. And we depend on his word and his promise. Where Jesus reminds us in John 36 verse 7. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will not cast him out. An unbeliever, whoever you are here tonight... Come to Christ. Call upon Him. Ask God by His Spirit to give you the gift of eternal life by working repentance and faith in your heart, by planting those seeds of faith that you might believe on Him, that you would see your sin, and that you would see Christ, the Lamb of God who died to take away our sin. And child of God, but you're a believer, pastors here, every one of us, are we wandering from his love, perhaps hiding from him, neglecting his house, being there, but not being there because of our sin, perhaps entertaining those darling sins you thought were long past, and you felt yourself tempted and entertaining these sins. Come to Christ. You belong to him. Ask the Savior for true repentance every day. Confess your sins to God. Christ will never turn his own away who come to him, no matter what dark paths you may have stepped in for a season. 
And this is my prayer for all of us, that God would grant us that we may know godly repentance in our daily lives. And you may feel inadequate tonight. You may look back at the time where you came to Christ and say, I didn't have this bone-breaking experience. Did I even ever repent of my sins the way that David did? My confession and my repentance was slow and weak, and I feel perhaps inadequate tonight. Take encouragement from this. Our salvation is not dependent on perfect knowledge, perfect knowledge of repentance and faith in Christ, but dependent on the finished work of Christ upon the cross. Even when there are things that you do not yet understand and the mysterious supernatural, the Spirit of God in our hearts by which we are made aware of our sin and our need for a Savior. And God gives us first just a childlike faith. And that's why Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. If you're seven years old or six, you can come to Jesus and ask him to put faith in your heart, to give you sorrow for your sin. Even the great King David had to learn in the bitter school of life, true confession and repentance. David's desire was that through this bitter experience, this bone-breaking repentance, that God would be pleased to use him to instruct sinners in their way and to turn many from sin. And brothers and sisters, God has honored that. Through David's experience, we can learn tonight. And you may not be an adulterer or a murderer, but we know what Jesus said. And we know the Beatitudes. And we know that sin is sin and remains sin. We know that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And God has honored that in the life of David and through the prophets and in the messenger and in the Lord himself who came to the temple and to the apostles and passed down through your prophets and the preached word of Christ. May God by his Spirit continue to cause us all to grow in grace, in faith, in repentance as he prepares us, his beloved bride. We are his beloved bride, the apple of his eye, the church, for that glorious day when he comes and calls or when we meet him in the air. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we consider our own sin, the light of the love of our Savior who on the cross gave himself for us, for his blood that was shed for us as we observe every Lord's Day around the supper, how we thank you for the faith and the repentance that you have given us. How we thank you for this blessed gift, this blessed grace to your people, the forgiveness of sin. Oh, Lord, we pray as your people, Please help us to hate our sin. Please help us to turn away from our sin, to repent of our sin every day, that we may be, as we ought to be, trophies of your grace, walking in the newness of life. Oh, Father, for those here who have not come to Christ, stir their hearts this night by your Spirit. 
cause them to see their sin, give them the gift of repentance, and plant those seeds of faith by your Spirit in the new birth, that they might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And we bless you, our Father, that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. At this time, I'd like to invite uh, the deacons and their helpers to come receive our offering this evening, as well as invite you to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, as the plates are passed. Morning by morning, new mercies 
stand together for our doxology. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Just a quick announcement before we pray for our food. Uh, it will be just natural, but there's be two lines formed uh, for our food outside. And feel free to continue to fellowshipping in here after you have eaten and discarded your trash. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh Lord, we have feasted upon eternal things this evening. May the temporal things we feast on now only enliven us to do more feasting upon your word and upon the wonderful fellowship we share amongst the saints and the communion of saints. We praise you, Lord. We ask a blessing upon the meal and the rest of our time, as well as your great providence and mercies as we all travel home. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.